I want to read from 2 Chronicles 7 and 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will heal, hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. I want to speak this morning from the subject, How to Restore Sanity to an Insane World. This world's crazy. I didn't think it could ever get as bad as it is right now. But to my amazement, it seems to be getting progressively worse. How do we, being salt, light, and yeast, causative agents for change and transformation, how do we restore sanity to a world that has clearly become insane? Father, I ask you to speak to us today and let your word inform us and instruct us and help us, Lord, to hear your voice and understand the purposes and why this particular word this morning is important, why you would lead us to speak from this and while I'm speaking from this. I'm absolutely certain that across this nation and around the world there are many others that are speaking the same thing. Why are you speaking this way to the church and what do we need to hear? Instruct us, Lord. We need you. We need you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. As I mentioned, I've really been impressed to focus on prayer during this season. All of our recent guests have spoken on it. Next weekend, Natasha, my daughter from South Africa, will be here. She is perhaps the best on prayer that I've ever heard. Uh, she speaks on a lot of different subjects. She's very revelatory and very deep, and many people can't follow her. And because they can't follow her, they might not understand everything she's saying. And, but when she speaks on prayer... She is so articulate on the subject of prayer that she, 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 she brings insight in a way that I, I've never heard anybody else bring insight on this subject. It was Jade Simmons that some, I think a few months ago, mentioned to me. Jade, by the way, has been doing an incredible job helping us and growing her speaking ministry and uh, here, and I'm so proud of all of those that are that are growing and the help they're providing us. But Jade mentioned that she heard Natasha speak on prayer 10 or 12 years ago, I guess it has been, and said she still is impacted by that message. And I remember the message very well. She will be speaking next weekend. That's what she's going to speak on. Why is God calling his people to prayer at this particular season? I personally believe that God is trying to show his people a number of things, not least among them is how we might act strategically in this critical time of increased spiritual warfare. You are aware of the fact that the warfare has been kicked up quite a few notches. There has been a dramatic upsurge in the frequency and severity of attacks that the enemy has launched against the church but not just against the church. His modus operandi is destruction. He, everything he touches, he seeks to destroy. It's not just the church that he's opposing. He's actually seeking to destroy the society, the world, not just American society, but the very world we live in. 
Think of the so-called bathroom proposition that thankfully the people of Houston voted down. I want to applaud you. Amen. Amen. And I want to thank you for going out to vote and uh, listening to me when I, I spoke a couple of weeks ago on this subject. And I understand. I've had some of our people come to us and say, Pastor, that thing was so confusing. When I cast my vote, I'm not even sure what I voted for. And they, they, I had people apologize to me and, and with frustration in their voice saying, I don't, I'm not sure. And that was even before I preached on it, some of our early voters. And I want to tell you that, that if you voted, I want to applaud you. I want to say thank you. And I know where your heart is at. And part of the problem of our day and age is the enemy uses three things. He only has three tools in his toolbox, as it were. One is deception, the other is temptation, and the other is accusation. The enemy is deceiving people right and left. And we need to be careful lest even the elect be deceived. Amen. It's what the Bible said. The rise of militant atheism and the change in their approach. It used to be to live and let live. Amen. They now openly and hatefully demand that everyone accept them while in the next moment they spew forth their hatred and animosity toward Christianity. They're no longer to allow us, uh, satisfied to allow us to coexist. Some, one of their most outspoken spokesmen and well-regarded is Sam Harris. He and Richard Dawkins are what you would call at the top of the new militant and new atheist movement. He, and Sam Harris said this just the other day. He said, it is entirely understandable that in a society that some people can be such a threat to that society, they need to be removed before the threat materializes. And he was specifically talking about Christianity. If you think that we're, the world is the same world that we lived in 10 years ago, I hate to be the one to tell you it has changed, baby. It's not the same world it used to be. Amen. Of course, we must look at the rise of terrorism directed against the world and primarily against the very existence of Christianity. Some say, well, yeah, they kill other Muslims too. Yeah, I, I know they do. And people of other faiths or religions but they are particularly virulent toward Christians. Amen. They've sworn to annihilate the nation of Israel. Amen. I mean, I'm just telling you what they say. Might not be politically correct, but this is what's really going on. For decades, the position of the church was to remain silent and even to be apologetic as they criticized us. When, and when we were attacked, we would, we would apologize. We stayed at home from the polls as Christians because we didn't want to be worldly and get involved in worldly things like politics. All the while, they were busy taking the Ten Commandments out of our schools and out of public buildings, outlawing prayer on campuses, and now our schools have become battlegrounds where it is no longer our beliefs that are being ridiculed. It's now the lives of our children that are at stake in this nation. We let them tell us to not take our Christian faith into either our schools or our workplaces. And we said, okay. And as we became more and more silent, they became more and more strident in their cries against God. 
and against us as his people. Listen to some of the comments of those who were for this ordinance following the election that just occurred and the defeat of this bathroom ordinance. This is what some of them wrote and posted. Quote, any man that is willing and capable of attacking ladies in their restrooms will still do it. Congratulations on giving in to fear-mongering and living up to the stereotypes. However, I didn't expect anything less from the small-minded folk in the great state of Texas. Yee-haw. Yeah. That's the way they treat us. Amen. Really? So we should have gone ahead and passed that ordinance since people can do it anyway, right? That means that you really think that since people can commit murder anyway, we need to get rid of that law too? And since they're going to rob people anyway, let's take that one off the books. Is that what you're saying? The logic is absolutely ill-conceived. It doesn't follow through. Here's what another one wrote. Not going to Houston for sure. Not sure we need you here either. Amen. Not being ugly. Not being ugly. Amen. Because I don't like all of this bashing and things. What I'm doing is not bashing them. I'm pointing out how they are demanding we tolerate them while they bash us. Another one. Maybe one day the people of Houston will realize how dumb they are. Really. Here's another. Just goes to show you how uneducated and uninformed Houstonians are. I'd like to know where they went to school. Another describes Houstonians as ignorant people chanting, thank God. If you think the world is the same as the one you grew up in, it is not. The church thought we could placate the enemies of faith. We thought we could coexist with them. And God describes in his word what happens to believers when they do that. Isaiah 28, 15. He said, because you have said, we have made a covenant with death and with hell we are at agreement. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, it shall not come unto us. For we have made lies our refuge and under falsehood have we hid ourselves. What God's people said it basically is, we've got to deal with hell. And we're exempted. Really. See what happened when Israel was invaded by Babylon not long after this was written. Amen. They didn't have the agreement they thought they had. And just between me, me and you, it's kind of like this. Any agreement you make with the devil, he's a liar if you expect him to keep it. Amen. You're mistaken. It's like Aesop's fable. Didn't we learn this in school when we were kids? Remember the story of the frog and the scorpion? Scorpion asked the frog to carry it across the river. And the frog said, I can't, I'm afraid. You'll sting me and kill me. And the scorpion said, why would I do that? I'd die too. So the frog was persuaded, put the scorpion on its back, got out into the river. In the middle of the river, the scorpion stung the frog. And as the frog was dying, he said, but you said you wouldn't kill me. And the scorpion, as it was also dying, said, what did you expect? I'm a scorpion. What do we expect the devil to do? He's the devil. He's a liar and the father of lies. Amen. 
Psalms 119, verse 128, or 126. It is time for you to act, O Lord, for they have regarded your law as void. That's where the world is at right now. It is time for God to act. His word has been violated and put aside. In 2 Chronicles 7, 14, we see the prayer that Solomon, the leader of his nation, prayed in dedicating the temple. It is significant to note that Solomon was the holder of the nation's highest office. Yet he prayed this prayer. And that he prayed it at the dedication of a national place of worship. The leader that held the highest position in his nation was not afraid to bend his knee and pray. Amen. We don't have a national place of worship in America. And many of our leaders in America are now afraid to be committed for fear of being ridiculed the way some of those ridiculed Houstonians because we didn't want men going into the restrooms with our wives, our sisters, our mothers, and our young daughters. To me, that's absolutely insane that anyone would conceive of a circumstance where that was permissible. Amen. Amen. Oh, that our leaders would call us to prayer in this nation and not be afraid to do so. Solomon prayed that if Israel forgot God in his famous prayers, he dedicated the temple and turned away from God. Solomon prayed and said, Lord, there will be consequences to this kind of decision. He knew that famine and disease, war and insecurity, economic upheaval, and chaos would inevitably ensue or follow. It is important that we respond to the accusations of those who accuse our loving God of destroying those who do not serve Him. Because one of the most commonly voiced objections to Christianity, to faith, and to God is that how could there be evil in this world if God really is love? How could God take my baby with cancer. You, you've heard this. Or allow terrorist attacks or a hurricane or an earthquake. And it is important that we as believers learn how to respond. For you see, those who ask that question have been inculcated into a belief system and indoctrinated to believe that basically our God is like all those false gods of this world who are merely blown up and exaggerated images of humanity with the same weaknesses and flaws as mere mortals possess. You do realize that the gods of the ancient worlds were not like our God and the gods of other religions are not like our God. For example, study the mythological figures of the Scandinavian gods, of the Greek gods, of the Roman gods. They were basically oversized human beings with bigger lust, bigger jealousy, greater anger, and so forth, a greater sense of betrayal. And, and they were mean, they were vindictive, they were unfaithful, they were larger-than-life reflections of flawed human beings. I've studied comparative theology had to take courses in it in some of the degree programs that I pursued. 
And I listen to some of these who argue against God and claim to know what they're saying as they ridicule our faith and describe our God as though he was like the gods of other religions. And clearly they don't know what they're saying about either Christianity or other religions. We are not the same. I wish I could hear an amen. No disrespect, but sorry, Oprah, not all roads lead to the same place. Amen. Hear what I'm talking about. I will never forget being in India on one of my earliest trips there. My buddy Mike Massengill was with me and, and Greg Barrios and, uh, and, and some others. We, we had gone there. We were in Calcutta. We were going to visit Mother Teresa. We had an audience with her. and We prayed together and spent some time with her. And, um, uh, and, and we, our taxi driver that picked us up at the airport, he was driving one of these little old... Asian Indian cars around, and on the dashboard, very many of them have idols, and, and uh, their idol that they worship, and India has 330 million gods, but this one, it had, I don't know, six or eight arms or something like that, and it had its head on the chest of a victim that was lying on the ground, and it cut off its head and was holding the head in one hand, and a sword in another hand, and I asked the taxi driver, who is that on your dashboard, and he said proudly, oh, that's my god. And I said, you're God. And he said, yes. And I said, well, what's that, the head and the, the, the sword and, and the victim on the ground? He said, oh, that's my God defeating his enemies and, and, I, I, and, and cutting off their head. And I said, why do you serve a God like that? And he said, because he helps me get vengeance on my enemies. And I thought, that's not the, the concept that we have in Christianity about God. I don't serve God to get even with people that do me wrong. Amen. The God we serve is unlike any God in any other religion, in Buddhism, in Hinduism, Zoroastrianism. Amen. I don't care what it is, Jainism, no matter what you, Hinduism, Islam, none of them teach about a loving God that you can have a personal relationship with. Amen. Not even Judaism, don't be offended, but Judaism knew him as the God of the Old Testament. They never saw him in John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. They didn't see God becoming incarnate, dwelling among us, living among us, walking among us, and giving his life for us. They didn't see that and paying the supreme price for our sins. The only religion that teaches this is Christianity. And I want you to understand, let me clarify even further. For that reason, I submit to you, Christianity is not a religion. It's about relationships. God wants to know us and be in intimate relationship with us. And that blows my mind. That God would want to know me. That God would know who I am. Oh, hallelujah to the Lamb. Amen. And before I can listen to people rant against Christianity, I'd like for them to at least study the Bible that they're opposed to and learn who it is they're talking about. Because most of them, what they have to say doesn't resemble the God I serve at all. Amen. Solomon prayed that if Israel turned from God and found themselves in trouble, that they would understand what had caused their misfortune and then turn around and come back to God. 
Let's be clear. In praying that prayer, Solomon was not laying the blame for the evil that befell the nation at God's footsteps. He was pointing out that there are decisions we make, and like every decision, it has consequences. Some decisions, the consequences are very small. Others can have severe and huge consequential impact on our lives. And for, for us to blame God for our decisions and the consequences that follow our choices, just a little bit unfair, isn't it? Amen? It's kind of like going to the Williams Tower by the Galleria and climbing all the way up to the 64th floor, that's how tall it is, and jumping off, and then when you turn into a human pancake, when you hit the ground, blaming God because there's a law of gravity. You don't blame God because you jumped off. The Bible is not about God threatening anybody. The Bible tells us the laws upon which the universe operates, that we can align ourselves with these principles. Amen? The secret to success is not to say, I'm going to fight the law of gravity. Watch, here I go. The secret to the law of success is to learn how to discover these principles, align your life with them, and make them work in your behalf like the law of aerodynamics. They've designed the wing of the aircraft in such a way that the curvature of that wing causes that airplane as big as a 747 or an A380 will lift right off the ground because they're making that law work for them. You fight the laws of God and you make the choices when God tell, that, that are harmful, don't blame him. He tried to tell you what the choice was that you were making, what was behind that door. Don't open that one. No, no, no. And so I object to some of the things that are being said. And let's be clear before we talk about Solomon's prayer that Solomon wasn't threatening the people of Israel that if they do wrong, God's going to get even with you. He's trying to inform God God, I understand there's some laws programmed into this universe. Help us to be compliant with them and to live in, in cooperation with them that we can experience your divine favor. Because when we live in opposition to them, they don't, we don't break those laws. They really break us. So it's not God that, that caused your baby to have cancer caused you to lose a job or your marriage to end in divorce. Do you understand? All that goes all the way back to Adam when Adam made the wrong choice and released all of that into the world we live in. You say, well, that's still not fair for God to cause me to be affected by what Adam did. It's not God causing you to be affected. If your daddy takes you out of school, moves into the middle of, of the jungle somewhere in South Africa, and you never go to school again, and you never get an education, and later move back to America, and you don't get a good job, you're going to blame God for that too? No, it was daddy's choice that you don't have an education. Are you following me? And in, uh, there are many analogies I, analogies I could use. Our daddy, our forefather in the flesh, made decisions that affected us. Now, we ought to understand that. That's not a stretch 
intellectually for us to be able to wrap our minds around. But I do find it unfair to blame God when God cared enough to say, hey, the bridge is out, don't go that way. And then if we go anyhow and we end up in the water, turn around and say, shame on you, God. He tried to tell us that's what the Bible is. It's a book that provides direction that ultimately results in benefit to those who obey it. Look at what Solomon prayed. For God was moved by that prayer. And more specifically, look at what God said in response to it. He responded with a promise that he would address the insanity of the world around them if they would seek him in times of crisis. First, he said, if. I-F, two letters joined together that make up one of the smallest words in the English language, yet it is the largest in terms of the potential that it contains. It opens up a door of possibilities if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. The word if actually stands for the greatest possibility that exist if we will only seek God. If we will pray, we can tap into divine resources that we do not have access to if we don't pray. I'll tell you this, and I'll be a little bit more candid than I normally am on Sunday morning. I'm not a young man anymore. Amen. I still feel it and look it. Amen, I know. But I'm not as young as I used to be. And I've been around a while, and I've lived long enough to have witnessed a whole parade of different leaders through the years from one party and then another, claiming to have the answers to the problems of our times. They've all tried their best. I'm not knocking them. Yet the world ends up being a more dangerous place in worse shape after they get through than when they went into office. Amen. What am I saying? The problems of our age have proved to be too complex for mere mortals to reason and figure out. When I'm talking about if, I'm talking about making a connection beyond the limitations of human intellect and tapping into the reservoir of God's limitless possibilities. Amen. If my people... There is a dimension, a reserve, as it were, a level of potential that we haven't tapped into yet. Then God identified in his response to Solomon's prayer those to whom he would respond because that's important. Because you see, God doesn't listen to just everything and everybody. You can't go on and on in obstinacy, ignoring his will, and then say, God, I still want you to bless me and expect that if you're being intentionally, purposefully obstinate, that he's going to do so. All of us are human and flawed and make mistakes. And all of us from time to time even live in rebellion. I'm going to just tell you, none of us are perfect. But it's kind of like this. If a husband and wife have been together and their marriage comes upon rocky shoals because one of them has done something that has destroyed the marriage. And he goes to the, or she goes to their companion with whom they are separated and says, I want you back. And uh, I want you to come home. I want us to be together. And the party that is hurt and wounded then looks at the person who's done the wounding and says, if I do, you're going to do this again. And they say, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do it again. Don't be surprised if the person doesn't come home. 
You understand what I'm trying to say? We can't be obstinate and live an intentional purposeful rebellion. But God says there is a people that he will listen to. If my people. And when he calls us his people, he's talking about the greatest relationship. Oh, hear me today. He calls us his people. I may be a lot of things, but among all the things I am, the greatest thing I am is I am a child of God. And he knows who I am. He's called me by name. Amen. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. God cares for us. We are his people, his chosen ones. You may feel like you're all alone, but you're not. God knows who you are, where you are, and what you're going through and loves you in the middle of everything. Amen. Amen. And he promises, I will listen to you if you pray. Not everyone can get his attention, but there is a people who can. I remember when Andrew, my grandson, was born. He was still just a little guy getting a little bit older. I'd be in the office and sometimes... Uh, I'd be counseling and pretty heavy things going on. I made it a policy that I would never lock that door and keep my family out. Amen. I did that for a number of reasons, just so that I, I could make sure everything was kosher and no one would misunderstand any any counseling that I was giving. That, you, know, all, you know what I'm saying? My, my reputation's all I've got. That's it. That's it. And Andrew would come busting in there sometimes. And you know what? I never fussed at him about that. I'd be counseling with people, and Andrew would come flying in there and not remember to knock. Of course, he was, like I said, a little guy then. And I would just smile at whoever I was meeting with and say, forgive me. I've, I've got a policy. My family always has access to me. Not everybody can do that. There's some others might come in. I'd say, I'm sorry. I'm busy right now. But when my family comes in, you know, that's my, that's my blood. That. I want you to know I'm his son. I've got access. You're his child. You have access. Paul and Galatians even go so far as to argue there's no more bond nor free, Jew nor Greek, male nor female. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Amen. Not only that, I got my name changed. Oh, hallelujah. If my people... If possibilities, that's what that speaks of. My people, that speaks of relationships. The third phrase, who are called by my name, that speaks of identity. I'm not the same person I used to be. Amen. You hear what I'm talking about? Uh-uh. I don't even have the same DNA anymore. My name has been changed. I used to be Richard Hurd, period. Now I'm Richard Hurd, Jesus. I carry his name. He gave me his name to wear. And when you get born again, he gives you his name. He makes you a part of his family. We're called by his name. Amen. If, that's the greatest possibility. If, my people, the greatest relationship who are called by my name, greatest identity, will humble themselves, pray, repent, and seek my face. That's the greatest strategy. It's time for humility in the world right now. It's time for the church to seek the face of God. I'm calling us back to prayer again. 
I know we just got out of three weeks of fasting, you know, just a, few, a couple of three weeks ago. I, I'm calling us back to pray again. There's something going on, and I don't know what it is, but it's time for the church to pray. And I'd rather pray and have nothing happen, and you come to me and say, Pastor, you think you missed it? Maybe I did. Maybe our prayers made some things not happen that would have happened otherwise. But it's time for God's people to pray. Amen. It's the greatest strategy that, that that exists. All of their meetings have proved to be futile. They're dealing with issues that historically have not had resolution or solution. In centuries, do we really, really believe? Are we so myopic? Are we so so short-sighted that we think we can go in and fix something in two or three weeks or a year or two that has existed for 2,000 years? You can't do that. What we need is God to stand up and be God. God arise and let your enemies be scattered. Amen. Not my enemies, your enemies, God. We exalt you today. Amen. 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 If we will humble ourselves and pray, you don't have to figure it out. I learned a long time ago when I was a kid, he holds the whole world. In his hands, he holds the whole wide world. In his hands. God holds the world in his hands. I don't have to know the solution. I know whose hand holds the world. I know the one that's in control. Amen. And God's people are called to be activistic in today's society. Amen. Now, there are all kind of strategies we can employ. I've already asked you to vote. To me, it's a tragedy that 40 million evangelicals do not vote Because we have been deceived. I told you it's deception. The enemy says, don't be involved in all that worldly stuff like politics. Oh, listen to me. While we have been hiding at home trying to be spiritual and not get involved, the enemy has pretty much taken over everything. I wish wish somebody here would run for president. Amen. At least some, some... from somewhere in the Christian community and genuinely be an authentic Christian. I I hope that happens. But what I'm trying to say is we have all kinds of strategies. Yes, write your congressman. Yes, yes, go vote. Yes, if we need to, pass petitions. Yes, 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 to all of the above. But don't think that those things are solutions in and of themselves. The greatest solution, the greatest strategy is if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. God can do things you don't know how to make happen and neither does anybody else. And man's limitations are God's opportunities. I learned that years ago. I will never forget and it's been many years ago, maybe 15 years ago. And I was in, I think I was driving, if I'm not mistaken, either driving or in the office. I tried to remember exactly where it was. Where it was is not important. It was what happened. I think I was driving. And my mobile phone rang. And I picked it up, and I didn't recognize the number. Some an area code I didn't recognize. So I don't know where it was from. And I said, hello. And somebody on the other end, my phone was ringing when I picked it up. I mean, when I put it to my ear and said hello, I heard a ring in my phone, which is not the way it normally happens. 
pick up your phone and say hello and you hear the other person. Instead, I heard another phone ringing. And somebody said, hello. And I said, yes, hello. And they said, yes. And I said, well, I'm answering your call. And they said, I didn't call you. And I said, well, my phone just rang. And they said, well, I answered because my phone just rang. I'm not making this up. And they said, who are you? And I said, I'm Pastor Richard Hurd, Christian Tabernacle. And it got really quiet. And a woman began to sob on the other end of the line. And she said, I don't know what happened, but I didn't call you. I don't even know you. But I was sitting here praying. I'm about to take my own life. And I said, God, if you know me, if there is a God, help me. And my phone started ringing. And I said, that's what happened on my end. My phone started ringing. You don't know strategies like God knows strategies. God can make things happen that nobody else can make happen. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, repent, turn from their wicked ways. If the greatest of possibilities, my people, the greatest of potential relationships, called by my name, the greatest identity, will pray the greatest strategy. He said, then he would hear from heaven. That's the greatest response. I want to tell you what's better than having the president pick up a phone and call you. Or your senator. Or somebody in your family you haven't talked to in a long, long time. That's when God says, I've heard you. When God hears you, there's nothing in the world like, quite like that. Amen. He promised us he would hear from heaven. Nobody else is going to move God in this last hour. And by now we should have seen that a culture of appeasement is not going to change the world in which we live. The world is spiraling into deeper crises than it's ever known before. Stand up, child of God. Don't deny who you are. Let your identity be known. Amen. Make your voice heard and counted. But also let's pray. Amen. And in conclusion, he promised the greatest of results. He said, not only would I respond and hear from heaven, he said, I will forgive their sin and heal their land. The very course of action that was set into motion by a bad decision, he said, I will abort and stop that in the middle of the process. When he says that I will forgive your sin, do you understand what he's really meaning? I'm going to interrupt the logical conclusion, the foreseeable conclusion to the bad decisions that you have made. There is a way to turn this all around. Nobody else can do that. Amen. Once you pull a trigger, the bullet's gone out of the gun. We've all heard the saying, can't stop a bell from ringing once you struck the clapper. I'll tell you what, that may be true with people, but it's not true with God. God can stop it right in the middle of the process and say, it stops right here. Right here, it stops. I know you made some bad choices, but I'm turning it around right now because you prayed. Because you see, God has the ability to step into the future while you're still in the present and undo everything that would have been done and come back and give you a brand new tomorrow. 
Amen. Amen. The greatest of results. He will forgive our sins and heal our land. How do we heal or restore sanity to a world that's gone absolutely stark, raving mad and insane? The responsibility and the opportunity is left at the doorstep of Christian people. It's our job. Stand up, child of God. Pray. Prayer's not a waste of time. Prayer moves heaven. Prayer changes things, and among the things it changes is the one who's doing the praying. Amen. Pray. Your family's in distress. Pray. Amen. You listen to those voices out there, they will tell you prayer is a waste of time. And then if you believe that, when you pray, it will be exactly that. It will be a waste of time. But you must understand that everything in the kingdom of God is predicated upon this principle that it must be done in faith, and faith moves heaven. If you know that God is hearing you, that's what James or John said in 1 John 5. If you know he hears you, you know you have the petitions you have asked of him. Amen. Pray knowing that he's listening. Church, let's be a voice in our community. Let's be a voice in the heavens over this city. Reach into the heavenlies and take what God has appropriated for this city and bring it into this city. Bring it and manifest it in this dimension. Hello, somebody. Intercessors change the course and destiny of nations. I'm asking you to rise up and pray with me. Amen. Pray with me. You've got to stay it. And to stay it, means you're going to face some opposition. And to get through it, you're going to have to pray.